The gathering at 840 got some good news this week. That's our church plant. We planted two years ago this month. That's actually hard to believe that it was two years ago this month. Uh, but two years ago this month, uh, they left. Uh, 65 folks left from here and went south of town to um, Arno Road and uh, where it meets uh, Highway 840 or Interstate 840 at the interchange there. And this week, Williamson County approved their plans to go forward with building and their construction sites. That's really good. We're excited for them. So that's been a long process and, and they've been trying to get things right and figure that out. And so we're really grateful that that's finally happened for them. And they're very excited about that uh, to be able to do that. Uh, today, we're going to continue our sermon series called A Brand New You. And we're studying what it means for us to have this incredible transformation in our lives once we meet Jesus Christ. And you may remember from last week that we started the idea with this new series that we were not about self-help. That, that's not what this is. It's not trying to get you to think positively or anything like that. This is really about transformation. And, and I qualified the series by saying last week that I'm, I am absolutely not a self-help guru in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You'd have to go read a book on that somewhere else to get that if that's what you're looking for. But when we talk about the transformation that takes place, what we're talking about is someone who came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and their lives are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. When, when that happens, things begin to change. And the first thing we saw was that our perspective begins to change because we begin to shift our focus from being focused on the things of this world and focused to things that we're going to take with us into eternity or having our minds, as we said, set on heavenly things. And as we learned last week, this really begins ultimately with how we think because how we think determines how we act. And if we're thinking the right way, we'll start to act the right way. If we don't, what starts to happen is we fix our gaze onto certain things that we collide with. So if we fix our gaze on ourselves, we're gonna collide with ourselves. We'll be selfish, we'll only think about ourselves. We won't be thinking about other people in the right way. And so that doesn't work. If we fix our gaze on our plans and dreams, well, that doesn't work either because ultimately all of your plans and dreams aren't going to go to heaven with you. You can try to build a life on a career here and all that, but it won't go to heaven with you. So when we talk about shifting our gaze, taking our focus somewhere else, that, that's what we meant. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see that our next steps in following this transformation really emerge as the brand new you emerges because the Holy Spirit's helping us think differently, the next step then is going to be for us to act differently. Habits are going to change. Actions are going to change. And as we set our minds on heavenly things, we'll distance ourselves from things, honestly, that felt very comfortable. They used to be very comfortable to us. We, we walked in those things. We lived in those things. It, it was how we operated, and now things are different because we've come to Christ. One of the tools we teach people to use when they share their testimony of their faith is this kind of before and after thing that happens. You know, what was your life before you met Christ? What's your life since you've met Christ? And, and we've seen this co-opted by advertising and they use it very effectively. How many of you remember when infomercials ruled the day, right? I and mean, that was just the thing. You watch TV and there were all these infomercials. The one that just sticks out to me in my mind the most is OxyClean, right? I mean, it's, they take this white shirt, and they take grass and they just rub it all over and you think, that's oh, ruined. It's terrible. You'll never get that stain out. And then they go, well, that's not enough. We're going to put ketchup on it. It's like, you know, you're at the, you know, you're at the barbecue and you're eating your hot dog and right there. And you think, oh no, white shirt ruined. They'll never get this right. 
And what do they do? The power of OxyClean, they throw it into the laundry and you think it'll never come out and it comes out looking good as new. Well, that sells the product on its own right there, doesn't it? I mean, you've seen what you think is a ruined shirt brought back to life. Well, it's the same thing in our lives. When we share our testimony, we have a selling point. It's our life before we met Christ and the life that we live now that we have met Christ because the before part is so different than the now part, the, the part that's come alive. And so when we talk about the brand new you, we're talking specifically in these terms. For every believer, there should be things that we had to leave at the cross to follow Jesus. If you didn't leave anything, you haven't met Jesus. That, that's really important that we understand that. For every believer, there are things that we have to leave at the cross to follow Jesus. There's habits that have to die and, and we have to just stop living in some of those things that feel really, really comfortable to us and move to some things that through the Holy Spirit may not feel as comfortable today, but they will start feeling comfortable to us as we live in Christ. I, I kind of put it this way. There are things in your old life that don't make the cut in your new life. They just don't. And so we're going to see that today. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians 3, as that's going to be our text for the next couple of weeks. And we're going to start in verse 5 today. We're only going to read three verses and as we read this, I want to just remind you of the idea that we're leaving old habits to find new ones in Christ Jesus. We're leaving old actions to find new ones. That's, that's what we're talking about. And I, I haven't said this in a while, so I want to just remind you of this. If you don't have a Bible, we really want you to have a Bible. We'd like you to have a copy of God's Word just for you. No gimmicks, no tricks, no sales pitch here. Go by the Next Step Center. Get one for free today. We'd love for you to have a Bible of your own. We want you to have that so that you can study the word of God with us and when you're not with us, when you're at home. So make sure you do that. We don't want you to leave without a Bible today. Colossians chapter three, verse five. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Paul tells us to do something that's actually not very natural to us. I don't, I don't know if you remember what it's like watching a baby kind of start to discover parts of their body. It's kind of a funny thing. Like when a kid finally discovers they have fingers. You know, like when you bring a newborn home, do you remember that it kind of looks like slow motion, what they're doing, right? These kind of things. And then as they grow, they figure out that they have a nose and they have ears and they have tongues and different, different things like that. And, and so they start doing things right with that because they're becoming self-aware. You know, so they may stick out their tongue and start going, there's things like that to you all the time. That, that becomes kind of this self-aware moment. As we grow into our lives, particularly as we become teenagers, one of the things that can happen is that we can get a wrong focus about our bodies. We start to think that not everybody's dealing with whatever we're dealing with and we start to focus in on something we see as an imperfection. And we just kind of, kind of, kind of I guess what I would say is hyper-focus on it. As we get older, we focus on our bodies, especially when they stop doing what they're supposed to do, right? You get a bad foot or a trick knee, right? Kind of gimping around a little bit and you're like, man, my knee's out or whatever, your hip. I mean, you, you know what it's like when it's not right. And Paul tells us this funny thing. He says, you need to not pay attention to your bodies in the same ways. You have to consider the members of your body 
as dead. Now, members, what he means there is the things that make up your body. So if we were talking about a hand, we would say that we have fingers that make up a hand. If we were talking about an arm, we would say we have fingers and a hand and wrist and elbow and shoulder, and that's our arm. It all fits together to be our arm. What he's saying is, in this way, you need to be thinking about the the parts of your body doing something differently. Before we met Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't even alive. Now, we walked around physically alive, and we had this physical body that we dealt with, but we were actually spiritually dead to God. That's what the scripture says. And then it's when we come to know Christ that we become alive in Christ and alive to God because God breathed life into us when he saved us. Now, everything that was natural to us, we're now to consider as dead. Our bodies aren't dead in the sense that you don't use them. You're gonna need a body as long as you live on this earth. And by the way, you'll get a body, I believe, in the resurrected form of a body that you'll have when you go to heaven. You're gonna receive that. You're always gonna have a body. So let's look at verse five again and look at these kind of qualities or habits that he talks about and he says these need to die. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, when we consider the members of our earthly bodies, here's the key word. When you think about your body, it's as dead. As dead. They're not dead to things in the natural form, but they're dead to things in the spiritual sense. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're immune from engaging in any of the things that Paul has just mentioned. You're free from the law of sin and death, and it means that you don't have to do these things, but it means that we could go back and commit any of these sins at any time. We can always go back and revert to the old life. And when we think about our bodies and the lives we're now living, we're to treat immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed as if they are dead to us. You know, if I could give you an illustration about what that looks like, it's kind of like this. You know, when, when you date someone and it doesn't work out, sometimes there's a lady that will say to a guy, hey, I think this hasn't gone very well. We should be friends. Right. Said no guy ever. So you're telling me you don't want to date me, but we should hang out more? I don't think so. Right? It doesn't work. That's a fantasy, ladies, by the way. It's a fantasy, right? So I, I just give you kind of how this works. So if you're dating someone and it ends, you treat it as if they were dead. They're not dead. They're still walking around. They're dating somebody else. They're very happy. But you should probably go home and that kind of collage of pictures, gone. Okay? It's as if you're treating it like a death. That's Gene Mims 101. My father taught me that. <laughs> Told him one time, I said, man, this girl, she broke my heart. Yeah, I treated like a death. Really? Seems a little harsh. Nah, you'll be just fine. You'll be just fine. And, and that's great advice, isn't it? Because what do you do? It's, we're not hanging out anymore. I'm moving on. You're moving on. We're doing, and, and this is great advice if we're single. By the way, some of our married people in here need that too. Somebody from your old life, they're not supposed to be part of this new life. Okay, I mean, it's treating it like a death. We're not just best friends anymore. And it's the exact same way for us as Christ followers. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, they're all around us every day. And we have to choose literally to treat them as if they're dead to us. Like, I I'm not gonna participate in that anymore. I'm not gonna go back to that. And I shouldn't be dabbling back into those old ways because now I'm living a new life raised 
in Christ. So I want us to see what each one of these words means in their context. And I want us to take a moment to think about how those things have to be replaced with the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's not uncommon for Paul to use lists like this when he was trying to compare and contrast the old life that we live to the new life that we now live. So the old life, he talks about it in Galatians 5 as one of the greatest lists. He gives you the old way of living and then he gives you the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, right? So he's kind of doing the same thing here. In verse 5, he gives us five things that no longer need to be habits or actions for us as believers. They're to be dead to us. And they break down kind of oddly in two categories. One has to do with purity and one has to do with greed or the old word was covetousness. So there are four characteristics that he lists when he talks about purity. And then there's one when he talks about uh, a greedy life or a coveting life. Now it's been said that these two sins make up nearly the whole sphere of human selfishness and vice. And when you consider the damage done to our lives through these two categories of things, then it's logical to conclude uh, that humanity could really greatly minimize suffering if it just treated these things as dead to themselves. I mean, if we just could really do this as a church, we'd be so better off. As believers, we'd so better off. Because what happens is, when we take uh, these desires and we run them to their logical ends, we're not thinking about other people. It's all about us. So if we're living a life that's impure, it's about us. And if we're living a greedy life, it's about us. And we'll take what we want and not worry about the consequences of how that works out for other people. So the first word in this list is immorality. And sometimes this word is translated in the Bible as fornication in our English version. And you may remember that we studied this not long ago in our relationship series that we called Relationship Goals. And our English word pornography is actually based on this word. And so we could broadly define this word and just say it like this. It's any time that there's a sexual relationship outside of a marriage relationship. Now I should stop and just say that the natural desire for sex is God-given. He created you with that. That's a normal part of your life. It's good when it's expressed in his design. And when God created us, he designed us to live in marriage together forever. That's his perfect plan. And that's where we express these types of things. When we're immoral, what we're doing is we're taking something that's reserved for a marriage relationship and trying to bring it into our lives now. God understood that we needed uh, companionship. He understood that we needed a relationship like this. That's why in the scripture, it's an amazing thing in Genesis. He creates everything, says this is good, this is good. But about man, he says, there's not a suitable helper. We've, We've got to do something different here. We've got to make something that corresponds. And what God joins together, then we can say is a good thing. And this means that we engage in a sexual relationship of any type, that doesn't meet God's design, listen to me, of any type, we're living in sin. We're just simply outside of what God wants for us. This means before we're married, while we're married, whether we've been, maybe we would say after marriage, whether I've been divorced or or I'm widowed, I still have to live by the same standard. It it doesn't stop just because I, I decide one day that, well, you know, things are different now. It doesn't work that way. And so as men and women who are raised by Christ, we have a new standard to live by. And I recognize for us this is a little bit of a difficult thing, particularly in the culture that we live in in America in 2019, for us to wrap our minds around because we are being told that the, that the fulfillment of our lives really is dependent on the fulfillment of our sexual lives. And that's just simply not true. That's simply not true. We, we've been told that 
that we should never inhibit any desire in any way that we feel. If you feel trapped in a marriage, find a better one. If you, you don't want to wait, why would you? According to modern thought, nothing should stop us from fulfilling any desire we have. But I want us to understand, that is not the biblical way of thinking. It, it just doesn't work that way. When we see this, we're seeing this as something that used to be part of our lives, and now we put it away. We consider that part of our lives as dead. You can say, I I could engage in this. I'm dead to that. I'm not going to do it. The next term that he uses is impurity. It means to be unclean. In the New Testament, often coupled with the word that we just looked at, because immorality changes your purity. The image that we use in wedding ceremonies is so powerfully strong. I think it helps us to think about it like this. If you think about a bride coming down the aisle, she's wearing a white dress. Why do they use white? Because it symbolizes purity, right? That's the whole idea behind that. And we think about uh, a freshly fallen blanket of snow on the ground before all your cars have driven through it and made all the snow look ugly. It, it blankets the world in kind of perfection and beauty, doesn't it? In a way that we don't get to see the world many times, especially living in Nashville. We just don't get that. I hope that we get a little bit of snow this year so that we can see that. I'd like to go sledding this year. It'd be nice again, right? Have a snow day, that kind of thing. But, but when we think about purity, it's symbolized in the white dress. We, we symbolize it in the way that the bride and the groom are kept apart for the day until they meet each other. We symbolize it in the way and that we give rings. Now, I understand that it's very popular now for us to wear these silicone-based rings. And if you work in an environment where you might hang your finger and get a ring injury, I'd encourage you to get one. But the reason that we give uh, a golden wedding band, the reason that that was given was that it was a precious metal that was supposed to be pure of defect, refined. And the circle was unending, right? That, that's what it meant. So there was this, this symbolism that took place in that. If we think about purity in those terms... We have to examine our lives and see if we are impure in our habits or actions. I mean, are we looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at? Honestly. Can we just have the elephant in the room for a minute? I mean, we understand, all of us, the appeal of those things. But is that what we're looking at? Is that what we're doing? Are we bringing that into our homes? Moms, dads, are you bringing it into your home? Have you looked at your movie collection lately? I mean, honestly. Is the stuff that you have suitable for, you know, any kid that we have in children's ministry to come over and watch at your house? Would that be okay? Because if it's not, should you be watching it? Are you thinking about this in terms of what you're reading and and, and where your thought life lives all the time? I mean, are, are you imagining this fantasy world that you live in? Or are you waiting for the fairy tale to come true that the knight in shining armor comes up? I mean, that's dangerous stuff for us to be living in. That's not how we're supposed to be living. Purity says that we think about things the way that God views it. Anything that would keep us from being pure is put to death. It's not managed, it's put to death. The next word is passion. This word's also found two times in this context in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it's used to describe passion that went too far. It just went too far. It carries the tone of excess with it and always used to describe the old life. Never used, I want you to hear me. It is never used to describe the new life. In fact, it's used in one passage to describe how pagans 
lived, okay? So this is, this is really important that we see this. And I want you to see the verse where it's clearly explained, Romans 1, 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for what is unnatural. In the same way also, men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Now, before I say anything else, I want everybody to pay very, very close attention. This is not a grandstanding moment. I'm not looking to get a response from you in this. I'm looking for you to see this and see it in light of the scripture and understand that we have to do everything by the word of God. And this is what makes it so confusing in the culture in which we're living in right now. Because if you start and look at the word of God and try to apply the culture through the lens of the culture to the word of God, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense at all. And, and I hear people all the time, they're, they're very well-meaning people say this, everyone deserves to be happy. Okay. I've heard Christians say, you know, I, I've been on the wrong side of this because I'm now enlightened on this issue. But I want you to think about this. This only makes sense. It only makes sense for you if you look at the world through the lens of the scripture. It's the only way that it works. Every part of your life, every part of your life has to be brought into conformity with the word of God. So we don't go to the culture and throw it on like it's the glasses and try to view the world through our culture. Cultures change. Contexts change. The word of God stays forever. It's so important for us to see that. Because if we don't, then basically we won't understand what's going on. You know, today in our country, you have the right legally to do whatever you want. It's legal. Totally. But I want to remind us as Christians that legality has never been the litmus test for anything that we do. It's just not. We, we don't say, well, you know, it's legal in our country for us to, to, to have abortions. That, that's, a, that's an okay thing. Abortion's a fine thing because it's legal. That's not how it works. Why? Because we view the world through the lens of the scripture. And the scripture says that God knew us before he ever formed us and that life begins at conception. We, we believe that. Uh, we, we believe that, that it's, it's wrong for us to abuse people or to use them for our own purposes. It doesn't matter that one state makes prostitution legal. It doesn't matter that that's okay in that state, that it's legal, that you are justified to do that. We stand against the exploitation of humans for other people's pleasure. We, we live in a day where people say to us, well, you can use marijuana now in some states. Recreationally, it's a good thing. Really? I, I just wish sometimes that we could apply reason a lot and logic to everything we wanted to do in our country instead of... You realize right now you can't even go to Rafferty's and sit in the smoking section anymore. It doesn't exist. But now we're being told, well, this is good for you. It's a wonderful thing for you. But we recognize something. Take aside the health things that might go along with that. What about the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What about the fact that we're not to have anything controlling our lives but the Holy Spirit? We don't look to the legality of an issue to see if we can participate in it. Because like we said last week, when God says it's good, it's good. When God says it's bad, it's harmful to us. And so that's the lens that we have to look through everything. I want you to look at this next term with me. It's the word evil desire. And it's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 5 as he taught on adultery. In Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said adultery begins in the heart. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When we desire someone else besides our spouse, we may think it's harmless. But Jesus says, this is the same thing that adultery is. It's always harmful to everyone that's involved. And by the way, it's harmful to people that are on the periphery of these things. We, 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 we may not see it as harmful, but it hurts people. And so evil desire, lust that goes astray, it's not for the believer. We're not to be running that in our minds. We are to live in option A. You remember we talked about that? A lot of people are living with option B, plan B. You know, if A doesn't work out, I've got plan B. You've only got one option. You've got to follow what God said is right. You've got to live in it. You've got to grow in it. You've got to do your best to make your marriage exactly what God says that it should be. After pointing us away from sexual sin, and these five things, Paul moves to greed. And he does something very funny. He calls greed idolatry. He says when we, when we do this, we're, we're acting in a way that would be consistent in worshiping money. How would that be? When you take on things in your life and ask money to be the answer to those things, you're supplanting the role of God in your life. So if you look for money to bring happiness to your life or fulfillment to your life or peace or security to your life, if I want just one more piece of security and I think money will buy that for me, I'm now allowing it to try to provide for me things that only God was ever designed to provide for me. I'm taking it and putting it in on the place of God. And he says, when you want more and more and more, and here's the easy test. Do you find yourself never satisfied with what you have because you just want more? You know, here we use this as one of our values as we talk about generosity. And we put it like this. We say that God's generosity towards us guides us to be generous in every way. It's important for us to see it like that because in our old lives, we might have lived like this. We, we now in our new life need to be marked by generosity. It's not about what we can get. It's not about what we can consume. It's not about wanting the next thing and just buying and consuming and having and getting more and more and building this stuff up in this empire on earth because why? None of it goes with you. None of it goes with you. When you die, your kids are going to take your most valued possessions and put them in an estate sale. Because they don't want your junk. And it doesn't work. So you can collect all this stuff, you can have all this stuff, it doesn't work. Stuff won't go to eternity. And so this makes sense, doesn't it? That he's been telling us to fix our eyes on heavenly things, to get our gaze somewhere else because greed has no place in our lives anymore. Just a side note, last week I mentioned how we needed to re-engage with our budget giving after the summer and we needed to re-engage with our global focus giving. And I've just got to tell you as your pastor, I am overwhelmed because you guys did great. You did great. It was amazing to see what happened. You answered that call. And I'm so appreciative for how you're willing to be generous. And I see it in so many of your lives that you're generous to the Lord's work, to the Lord's purposes. 
We have to keep that going through the end of the year in August and September so we can finish this year strong. But let me say thank you. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for being that kind of person who's living in the new life. Because when we're not living in the new life, it's all about us. It's all about the next thing we can buy, the next trip we can take, the next experience that we can have. But that's not who we're supposed to be. Why? Verse 6 and 7. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. The wrath of God is his anger that builds towards disobedience. And it's important that we understand what this means. Because it's not like when you're around someone and they get really angry at something and they kind of pop off about something. And then in just a few minutes they kind of settle back down. The wrath of God is described most of the time in Scripture as a slow-burning anger that sets itself up against everything that is evil, and it's strong and settled in its opposition to all that's evil. That's really important that you understand that. It's important that we understand it as as believers to know that, that God's wrath is strong and it's settled against these things. There's not a gray area here. It's not like you get to kind of cross the line and and weave in and out of that and, and make yourself comfortable in it. You don't have that option because when we talk about this, God's anger settled against these things means that his wrath is coming and will be revealed against these things. Well, we were once counted as children of God's wrath, but Praise be to God that when we come to know Jesus Christ and we're raised to life again, the scripture says we're no longer counted as children of wrath, but we're counted as sons and daughters who have an inheritance in heaven. Full inheritance given to us. That was the old life. And verse 7 says that we walked in this way in the past. We lived literally in this mess in the past. And I mentioned it last week, but I think it's important to mention again because when we come to Christ, this isn't the idea. I come to Christ and I just add him to my life and nothing changes. You die and you're raised again. That's so important. The imagery can't be lost on us. This is not, I get to keep living my life any way that I want to and I just add some religion or I say some Jesus stuff and it just all works out. Or even better yet, I just believe that Jesus is the son of God and everything is good. That's not what he's saying. He's saying these things have to be put to death. To death. Mortify them. Crucify them. Count them as dead. Don't walk in this mess anymore. Coming to Christ means that you died so you could walk in new life. And it's true that our stories before we came to Christ probably sounded a lot like verse 5. Maybe you would say, well, I didn't really, I wasn't like part of like all of those things, pastor. I mean, it's not like that was really me. Yeah, but the thing of it is, what verse five really kind of gives us an example of is a person who just lets their desires run away with them. Your desires are to be brought into conformity to the word of God. The Holy Spirit works with us to do that. And as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and we begin to allow him to shape our lives and mold us into the image of Christ, we have to be willing participants in that too, right? I mean, that's that part. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, you can run right past conviction and just keep living however you want. But the problem is nothing's changing. 
What we have to do is yield the conviction. We have to stop and allow the Holy Spirit in that moment to shape our character so that it becomes like Christ's. So that we can really live as we have been set free to live. And you were set free that you never have to walk in those ways again. For the Christian who's struggling with these things, I just want to remind you, you can't reconcile these actions with your faith. That's who you were. It's not who you are. That's really important that you see it that way. That's who you were. And you may be tempted to go back to that, but it's kind of like that moment where you just stop and say, now that's who I was. It's not who I am anymore. I've been changed. I was raised to new life. And I may want to do that. That may be my natural inclination because I lived in that way for so long. I lived in that thought pattern for so long. I lived in those habits for so long. And it's hard to break a habit. But I can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life because I'm raised to walk in new life. I can crucify the desires of the flesh. I just say this to you as well, Christian. You won't go forward in your relationship with the Lord till you deal with what he's asking you to deal with. It doesn't work. Can't make it happen. Parents, that may mean, as we said, you need to get some stuff out of the house. It may mean, Dad, you need to take the lead on this. It may mean it's time to think about filtering the internet at the house. It may mean it's time to stop a relationship that can't go forward with who we are now in Christ. For those of you who are single, it may be time to now live purely before the Lord and count those desires that would have controlled your lives in the past, your flesh, as dead. And for those of us who are married, to live purely in a relationship with our spouse before the Lord. It could be this morning that it's time for you to finally renounce greed. Like once and for all. To stop looking for money to be your security. To stop looking for those things to provide ultimate happiness and joy in your life. And understand that when you unleash generosity in your life, because your character is being formed that way, it will change your life. For those of us who are in Christ, our lives are literally brand new. And we need to live out that reality each day in front of God in this world. And for those of us who aren't in Christ yet, we're on the journey. Can I just say to you, new life awaits. But it only awaits, not when you figure it all out, not when you finally decide that it's time to stop doing these things and you get control over them. It awaits when you come to Christ. When we come to Christ, he raises us to walk in new life and the old passes away and the new starts to take hold. And the only way that we can come to Christ is to recognize our sin position, that we are literally lost, helpless, dead in our sins and trespasses. And that if Christ doesn't save us, we have no hope. The scripture says that if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, that he was raised to new life, and you'll confess him as Lord, the scripture says that you can be saved. You, you can have this new life. It's not something that's reserved for an exclusive group of people. Jesus made it available to all of us, but we have to receive it. You have to receive it. No one can make you do it. No one can will that to happen in your life. Even though we would wish you would do it, we can't make you. But we desire that for your life. We want you to know that there's new life. And I promise you this, I, I, I mean it. The new life is so much better than the old life. Because there's freedom. It's so funny to me when people talk about 
not wanting to come to Christ and they say, man, I just don't have to deal with all the rules. You know, it's just a bunch of rules. There are some things that are prohibited and there are some things that are expected. That's true. But I would rather live in the freedom of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ and him giving me freedom than be powerless and a slave to sin. Because you think you're living a free life right now. It's a lie. You're not. You want to try me on it, just stop doing all the stuff that you're doing right now. We can't do it. It's, It's impossible. It's only when we come to Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes this morning as we respond to what God's speaking to us this morning. If we're claiming the name of Christ, are we living in such a way that these are the things we used to do, who we used to be? Did something about what we shared this morning from this passage of Scripture speak to you? If it did, the answer to the Lord is yes. I will count that as dead. Perhaps this morning, it's that you're realizing you don't have this life in Christ. It's available for you. It's it's yours to be had. And our desire is for you to know the Lord, for you to be saved. And in just a moment, we're going to pray, we're going to sing a song and We're going to enter into this time that we call the invitation. It's your chance to receive Christ. It's your chance, believer, to come and respond to the invite that God has given you to renounce these things, to set your eyes heavenly. And as we do this, let's respond. Let's not just sit here. Let's respond to what God's speaking to us this morning. Father, we recognize today that it is hard sometimes to walk away from the old habits and patterns of our flesh. It's tough for us, Lord, because it's what we've known. It's natural to us. Our desire is to count those things as dead. Father, to walk in a new way of life. And we ask for you, Lord, to give us the strength to do it today. Give us eyes that see the new life. And for the one who's on the outside, who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, our prayer today is that they would come to know you. And they'd no longer be on the outside looking in, but they would come in to new life today. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.